Hello, welcome to the Market Task. I'm John Moore. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? Well, it turns out that um, some of the Capitol Police uh, have relationships with some of the folks who monitored the insurrection. And today, a member of the Capitol Police Department was charged with obstruction of justice for basically telling uh, someone who was charged with, you know, to were charged with insurrection to delete their social media posts and everything else. And it did not end well for the officer. Yeah, there's so many angles here. I don't even know where to start. The first thing I want to say is this isn't surprising, right? We saw some of the Capitol uh, police officers taking selfies, helping people. We know there was a decent amount of law enforcement, former army, current army, current police officers, fire department, people who were there at the insurrection. So none of this is a surprise to me, but I'm going to go at this a little bit different angle. For a law enforcement officer to be in that field for, I think he's been a cop for like 25 years or so. Um, For him, first of all, to do that, knowing it's a crime is beyond me. Second, to give poor advice, because we know now that with social media, even when you delete stuff, it still exists somewhere in the ether of the world, right? It's on their server. It's on somebody's server. And if he knew that this person was involved, they, the, their their information was going to be tracked as well. So it's it's surprising that somebody of this experience would do this sort of poor decision-making and poor advice. That's that's my angle I'm taking here is how good a cop are you if you're literally just committing crimes in open and, and you should know better? Yeah, it, it's the... I think I think where, what's problematic here is one, the officer's actions. Two, this reinforces what we've known for some time And that's, you know, we knew that there was some uh, current and former law enforcement involved in the insurrection. Um, What I'd really love to know, I'd really love to have insight on is how does this charge, how does probably some some of this other stuff going on impact the morale of the actual Capitol Police, knowing that not only was the insurrection uh, brought upon them and that there were some of their brothers in blue, but not necessarily part of their police force, involved in the insurrection, but that there were actual members of their uh, their department who, while they might not have taken part in the insurrection, may have aided and abetted, and at least are definitely obstructing justice when it comes to um, holding those who carried it out accountable. Yeah, we, we really didn't know this. It wasn't much of the Blue Lives Matter uh, sentiment going around on January 6th for sure. This goes along with that, right? This, think about it. Was this a capital, was he capital police if I'm not mistaken, John, or was he a different kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, he was capital police. so think about this, right? He lost, uh, teammates that day, right? There was a police officer who died, right? And then later, if I'm not mistaken, another police officer committed suicide who was there that day, right? He lost, uh, part of his, uh, his, his team that day. And he's helping the people who did it. Now, maybe this person that he specifically helped didn't do it themselves. But I kind of just generally believe that everyone there should is responsible, generally speaking, right? So, and here's a guy who's who's helping, aiding uh, a person who's who is some sort of responsibility for all the carnage that was that day. That's it's not disappointing because we kind of know that this exists. 
but it is also disappointing. Isn't that crazy? Like to think this isn't a surprise, but yet still, it's pretty disappointing that that we've stooped this low as a country. Yeah, but I also think it goes to something a larger problem, and it's something that we oftentimes do with police officers, with all public safety people, and also even to a certain extent members of the military. We have, and rightfully so, I think, a very, um, at least how we're raised and what we're taught in school, a very idealistic approach to how to view them and that they're heroes. And I think that should be the default. But and I don't mind that being the default. But when they are, when they conduct themselves in a manner that goes against that narrative, I don't think that. Uh, I think that we should be willing to hold them accountable and call them out and, and, and use whatever words we need to to criticize that individual. I actually think, as we look at the larger issue with the police, don't you think that if everything that's happened, happened, regardless. However, whenever it happened, some of the loudest voices in condemning anything were not the activists, were not the impact people impacted, but were the actual rank and file good police officers. Don't you think, I mean, first of all, if good police officers were doing this, there probably wouldn't be as much. But let's just pretend that they were, that that um, there was just as much craziness, but the good officers were, were the ones leading the charge. Don't you think that would change the paradigm on how we deal with this whole issue of the police versus some communities? Yeah, I, I think there is some sort of uh, division within the within the police kind of um, community because I do think a lot of good cops see this. But as you know, and maybe not directly, but you kind of know that the, the kind of mantra is the, the blue protects blue, right? We saw with the January 6th commission that first day was those four officers coming up and saying, nope. This was wrong. This is what happened. Boom, boom, boom. And we saw the right basically abandon them and say these these four cops don't know what they're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a back to blue thing that this happened where guys who might not have the the years or the or the rank to kind of say something because they feel like they're going to get um, kind of railroaded, if you will. So that's the problem within that the community. Also, I want to bring you brought it into a bigger picture. And I also want to bring into a bigger picture. With we see a lot of these struggles, we, we we're seeing it here in Chicago with the FOP and stuff like that. Of just across the country, like the vaccine mandates and and all this stuff that the police unions are pushing back on. You you said it best, right? Is is we can't treat them as heroes as default. But at the end of the day, this is a government entity that we're paying for, that is responsible for for protecting and serving the people, not themselves, right? If you don't want to be a cop, you shouldn't be a cop. But Something changed in this country, or maybe it was always like this, but something changed in this country where cops became above the law, above criticism, above uh, approaching them with any sort of ideas to get better. They just wanted control and they wanted power. We see how powerful the the New York Police Union is. We're seeing it here with a little pushback on the mayor in Chicago. So my frustration comes with when did this get so big that we can't even approach approach any sort of a, a good idea to help without being anti-police or anti, uh, you know what I mean? All that whole kind of sentiment. Right. Well, I mean, it started, it's been around for years. And I think going specifically to the FOP, and for those of you who are not in, in Chicago or familiar with Chicago Media Market, what's going on is that 
for all city employees, the uh, mayor has put out an edict that you have to, um, by midnight on this past Friday, you have to go into a portal and indicate your vaccine status, right? And if you are not vaccinated, you can still work. However, what you need to do is be tested twice weekly. So, and even uh, some people pointed out today that the mayor has even made some accommodations, worked with him. Um, and the FOP, which is uh, very anti the mayor, very anti Lori Lightfoot, they basically have told folks or told their members not to report back. Now, it turns out that the head of the FOP, who's telling everybody not to report, is actually vaccinated. So it's just an act of defiance. And I think the thing that angers me the most, and it goes beyond this particular incident, but it goes to the point you just made. When do we get to the point in which people that we entrust with lethal weapons to enforce the law feel that they don't have to follow rules, and in this case, rules which will save people's lives? I think when where we have gotten to, and you know, I'll give you perfect examples, is we do such a good job, and I say we, I'm talking about the country. The, the country does such a good job of, you know, whipping people up over stuff that when there are legitimate violations of rules because that person or what is either in a profession or carrying out an act that we are taught to revere, they're not ever held accountable. They can never be questioned. My favorite is always when, you may have seen these stories, where in certain communities, someone may get fined because their American flag is too big, or they talk about that there's too many American flags on the law, I mean, on the lawn. But the reality is, is those um, rules are being broken because there's rules. They ask, there's ordinances saying your, your flag can only be so big, right? So that means that if you, as long as it's an American flag, you can go out and buy a flag that's bigger than it's supposed to be, or you're not supposed to post anything on your lawn in, in, in the parkway. But if it's an American flag, you can do it. I think that Americans have gotten to a point to where we can, not we, but there's a certain segment of our population that assumes we don't care. As long as they're police, they can do whatever they want, whether these are rules or not. As long as an American flag, you can wave it anywhere. As long as this person's a soldier, he doesn't have to do, he or she doesn't have to do anything. We have to get away from that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That was the kind of the point I was trying to make was Mayor Lightfoot is, like you said, she's trying to accommodate them. She's trying not to push back so much. Um, but there wasn't that same, this isn't criticism on her by any means. What, what I'm trying to say publicly, this is a public, there isn't, the teachers who are quitting and resigning because they don't want to get vaccinated aren't shown that kind of empathy, right? The firefighters, the doctors, the nurses, all the people who decided to quit their job because they didn't want to get vaccinated were showed no mercy. But here we are with just another government employee, because that's what police officers are, fighting back and then there isn't that kind of same public outrage to say hey you're supposed to be protecting me not only that but there's been a big uh population of police officers who have died from COVID-19 specifically right and COVID-19 has killed more people than Black Lives Matter ever has 1000% right so it's like 
there isn't public outrage to say, hey, we need to protect police officers and they need to protect themselves. So I just don't get it. I don't I don't get where we went wrong. And and, and there's just this, you know, I, it's hard to talk about, John, because if you criticize police, you're just always anti-police. And then people will say, well, if you call 911, I'm hope nobody shows up. And it's like, if if you're in the if you're in that job to be powerful and hold power over me, then you're really the wrong person for that job. And so I commend all police, good police officers out there specifically who are trying their best. Um, but we've really lost control over that whole uh, kind of situation across the country. Right. And what happens and we're seeing it. And it, the worst part about it, we haven't said it. Let's be honest. The people who tend to be more defiant with exception of Kyrie Irving. Uh, the people who tend to be more defined in this realm are people on the right, and they're doing it. They're doing it as an f you to a you know I'm gonna I'm gonna own the liberals by dying essentially. They 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 do not get it. But that and we you know we play in the world of politics. We talk politics all the time. But that tells you how sick our politics are. Mm-hmm. That people are willing to risk their lives and in this case other people's lives by being very reckless in mask wearing, social distancing, and vaccines. And worst part about it is some of the very people, including the president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police, some of the very people who are telling you not to comply have complied themselves. And what, what I mean, think about that. They're basically encouraging folks to maybe put their lives and other people's lives in danger but they are done. They've done what they can do to protect themselves. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not only ridiculous. It's also um, sad in the way that, um, like I said, if this was any, if this was any other government employee, a CTA worker, right, a bus driver, uh, a school nurse, right, they'd get fired, and, and 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 nobody would even think about it, right. But we're gonna hesitate to fire a police officer because of the public outrage. And and that's what's the really disappointing part. Also, the other part is what you mentioned, right? Is the vaccine mandate. Like, I'm sure before COVID, there was already vaccine mandates for all of these police officers, right? Just like there was in usually in all government kind of situations. When I went to, I went to CPS, Chicago Public Schools, proudly vaccinated at each level. When I switched schools, vaccination status. When I went to high school, vaccina- vaccination status. That's the that's what's really frustrating is that you can't tell me the difference between those mandates and this mandate, other than you think that this is whole thing is fake and and that just doesn't it's just not true, right? You, we can't base the whole world off your opinion that this entire thing is fake. Right, and you know you have actual aldermen in Chicago who are saying, well, the police are threatening to not to to not get the paperwork in and not show up for work. And it's going to leave our streets dangerous. And they're saying, for that reason, don't enforce the rule. Just think about what they're doing. They're rewarding bad behavior. And the reality is, is our city is in crisis. And if you are a police officer who is a sworn to serve and protect, and you're and you're willing to to not serve and protect to make a all you're doing is making a political statement. If you're not willing to serve and protect, why are you in this job? It's kind of, and I'm going to go to Kyrie Irving, and of course, I was a high school athlete. That was the end of my career. But I don't know if I'd ever want to be a teammate of someone who is, who, you know, 
players come to Brooklyn and want to play on Brooklyn, and partly because Kyrie's there, and all of a sudden, he is letting his teammates down. I do not understand how some of these folks um, are just so pig-headed, especially folks that are in a position to where people need to rely on and trust that they will be there whether it's a person in, a, in an impacted community that knows that the police need to be there to save them, or if it's a person who has busted their ass to win a national, win an NBA championship, but their teammate is not carrying their weight. I wonder what type of dynamic that is in a locker room when all the other players are vaccinated, busting their butt, working for a championship, and, and one of the crucial members of the team is just being selfish and not getting vaccinated. Well, we saw the consequences, right? He, he's not on the team technically in person, and – and all I'm sure his players uh, were in support of that because, again, they had a goal of winning a championship. And, and again, I'll bring it back to my point I just made. Kyrie said, I'm not anti-vax, but people are losing their jobs because of vaccine mandates. I wish someone would just – here's the problem, right? He's, he, people say these things in a vacuum. But any logical person will be like, but Kyrie, there's been vaccine mandates for 100 years. So what is – what is the actual problem? Like you're mad at vaccine mandates or you're just mad at this vaccine mandate because it's not, there's no difference, right? It just kind of lines in with everything else. I know a lot of nurses who are mandated to get the flu shot. This is pre pandemic, right? They have to get the flu shot or they can't work in their building, which by the way, flu shot is much less effective than the COVID-19 vaccine so far. And there's different strains of the flu. And, and we've seen that people can still get the flu, even though they have the flu shot. So nurses weren't complaining about that before either right so it's my, my problem is the hypocrisy my problem is that tucker and hannity and trump basically said don't get the vaccine and joe rogan by the way said don't get the vaccine and then but they got the vaccine so my problem is who are you actually mad at because you should really be mad at those people who are being complete hypocrites to you and just lying straight to your face because that's what they're doing right yeah it's 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 uh it's it's ridiculous it's frustrating i think what one of the things that we know and that we deal with is this is a deadly disease or deadly virus that's killing a, that's killed a ton of folks we've lost more people than we should even after getting the vaccine and unfortunately however bad it is or however good it is um if people just took responsibility and it, and behaved in a more responsible manner who cared about each other we'd be so much we would be so much closer to to normal and i think one of the things that's required to make and you know it's been a while since we've had a covid talk on here but one of the things that's required is that new normal that we've talked about before right but it's also realizing that the more that we practice certain behaviors, the sooner we get back to normal. It's just that simple. It's that simple. And and the thing is, and also the lean into these new behaviors, because some of these new behaviors might serve us very well, you know, in the future. You know, one of the things that happened last year, I'm not sure what happened this season, is that the flu was almost non-existent between the social distancing that people were employing because of COVID and also because of um, people really were smart to go out and get the uh, flu vaccine. Um, we had a very successful year as related to fighting the flu. 
might we live in a more, might some segments of our population be safer strictly because we now know, some people know how to pr conduct and practice certain behaviors that will make us healthier. Yeah. I, 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 unfortunately, that point that you just make, I don't know if you know this, this is a, a right-wing conspiracy theory that's looming online is all of a sudden the flu has gone. Oh, they want to make a big deal out of COVID. What happened to the flu? And you really want to just shake them and be like, well, the masks and the social distancing help with the flu. That's the freaking idea behind the entire thing. That's a, a, a plus benefit that we've got from this. I don't think that me personally, let's say five years from now, 10 years from now, I hope I hope that we're not dealing with the pandemic still, right? But there's some learned behavior here with masks and social distancing that I will take into practice in my future. And I, I do want to make one more overall point about what the right thinks is happening. There's a big push of freedom and Fauci lied and it should be individual choices if you want to make take the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. This is government overreach. I feel um, empathetic to, to, towards these people because they've been told that this is government overreach. But, but all the rich Republicans who don't pay taxes isn't unfair to you. All the stimulus money that is being pushed away from you, the citizen, is uh, not uh, fair to you. They've really marketed well that the left is trying to take their livelihoods away while they've been taking the livelihoods of their own constituents away. So that's what's really frustrating here is we the people, right? If you look at the preamble and all that stuff, we the people, if we really banded together and demanded that Bezos and, and all these people paid their fair share, if we demanded that we wanted universal health care, if we demanded it as a country united, uh, we'd be much better off and everybody would be a lot happier. But unfortunately, there's a, a subset of this country who thinks that everyone just wants to, to ruin their lives, whether it's immigrants or Muslims or gay people or whatever, right? They've been fighting the wrong war this entire time, unfortunately. Yeah, it's there. There's a lot of misinformation. Um, one of the things we opened up, obviously, was with the police officer who was charged with obstruction of justice as released to the insurrection. Well, this past week, uh, there were some important deadlines, and a lot of people close to Trump, you know, uh, all missed the deadline. Now, we're told that two of the folks, Mark Meadows and Cash Patel, are actually somewhat cooperating and but they're going to go ahead and they're going to uh this week i think on tuesday go ahead and vote to hold Stephen steve bannon in criminal contempt it'll be fascinating to see how this thing actually plays out yeah um i have no take here other than one take i know you're going to push back on me a little bit here but i, I i'm it's not a take it's just a challenge we do such a good job in this country of penalizing people who are just trying to get by right like the, the the parking tickets turn into jail time and jail time turns into you don't have bail then jail time bail you go to jail and you don't have a job so you come back out and you commit more crimes we do a, a, such a good job of penalizing people who are who are really just struggling um excessively and this is a good time for us to start showing that the law applies to everybody if this was anybody else they'd be already in jail if this was anybody else, all the six of those subpoenas who got passed out would already be either testified or in jail. 
And I understand that there's some some nuance here that you don't want to appear to be arresting Republicans for political sake. I understand that there's some sort of PR kind of hit that you might take, but if you're on the right side of history, you got to do the right thing, right? You can't half-ass, I don't, excuse my language, but you can't half-ass this. I, and just by the way, this is a challenge. I'm not saying that they're doing it. It's pretty clear um, that all the messaging from the January 6th commission is this will happen and we're going to get these subpoenas in, don't worry. And they seem like they're definitely going about it the right way. But my point is, this goes to the Matt Gates. this goes to Donald Trump, this goes to all the Hatch Act violations that uh, Kaylee wants to criticize Jen Psaki for, right? We have opportunity here to show that the law applies to everyone, and I hope that we take that as a challenge and, and follow through. Well, I think one of the challenges that we have here, and you're completely right, but there's one huge problem that shows the um, disparity in being rich versus being poor. On the one hand, we can definitely say the people are not being holding them accountable, what have you, but there's also something else going on here, and that something else is the fact that these are wealthy people who can afford the best lawyers around. And now you do, you would obviously want to have a $40,000 defense to defend yourself against a parking ticket or getting arrested for uh, shoplifting, but that's what these, you know, five to six figure to seven figure uh, legal defense uh, bills get you, right? So, and what that does, that tell you know, that that points out the the disparities in our system in a glaring way. I, I agree with you that we don't we don't want to give people breaks, and so I'm not I'm not pushing back on it at all. I think the thing that's really offensive though is Part of the reason why that guy who's got a parking ticket is going to jail is, let's be honest, because they're poor. Because it, because they, you know, and, and it's, even if they had money, would you, yeah, I think you're better off saying, I'll, I'll, I'm, if I'm going to spend 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, $100,000 on something, um, it's not going to be legal fees, right? If, if they even have that money. So it's, it's, it's really white men who have money, who have power, who have access, and they have access to the airwaves, right? And and, and and have followings. But I'm hoping, and now did you notice, speaking of which, um, the committee's holding a hearing about the contempt of Congress thing, but did you hear when they're doing it? They're doing it on Tuesday, but they're not doing it Tuesday morning. They're not doing it Tuesday afternoon. They're doing it uh, during prime time, so so I think I think I think we've entered the phase now, where maybe not every meeting, every hearing in this commission will take place in prime time, but at the very least, they're basically uh, <laughs> putting putting members uh, Trump's allies on the summer jam screen. I I I I I think folks are getting put on the summer screen, summer jam screen. So I do think that's fascinating. So now that's the first you've heard about it. What do you think of them putting them on this on the primetime summer jam screen? I, I like it. What, what is what is this Tuesday though? Is this a Steve Bannon thing or is this? Yeah. Okay. And what it'll be will be a hearing to hold him to to hold them in contempt. Now I'm not sure. Wait, I'll backtrack. The, they're voting on it, so I'm not sure if it will be the hearing to hold them in contempt or if the hearing will happen 
and to be the floor debate because to hold them in contempt, they had, the whole full Congress has to vote on it. And so, and, 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 and that would be interesting because that means they would definitely have to allow uh, the Republicans to chime in. But, but if I am, I don't know exact procedure, but so you know that like when you watch, when you watch um, the floor debates and there's somebody on the Republican side, somebody on the Democratic side, I think it's the person who runs that committee or chairs that committee, and then the person who controls the uh, time for the other part is the ranking member. Well, the ranking member of this committee is Liz Cheney. So I don't know <laughs> if the Republicans are still kind of... So look, we all have to, and we'll have to look it up. I don't want to even give bad information, but I just think it's going to be very fascinating to watch. Whatever format this plays in, It'll be primetime viewing, and I'm sure that brings a new dimension in. More people will see it. More people will be asking questions. And some of that some of that public pressure, that, that being exposed, I wonder how that's going to really make a difference. You know, don't forget, you and I are in a position to watch this stuff as it happens. The majority of Americans still just read about it or see it in the news. But by putting it in primetime, more Americans will see it as it happens. And I wonder what questions they will come up with. I wonder how it'll play out and what the what the American people's reaction will be after this happens in prime time. Yeah, I think it's great. I also would give a suggestion to the TV networks is, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but treat this like it's Monday Night Football. Like, you know what's interesting is a lot of these hearings, you actually don't know what's happening. And then it goes on for two, three hours and then... CNN, MSNBC, whatever, Fox News, they comment on it and kind of explain big moments. But even to someone like me who kind of understands the significance, it's hard to understand the significance in the moment. It's after when Jake Tapper tells me this is why this was significant. And I wonder if they could have a quote-unquote announcer to play by play guy to say this is what's actually happening during these moments. I think that would be an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. But so what happens next? The business meeting next week is the first in a series of steps needed to move forward with criminal contempt. In the meeting, the committee will adopt the contempt report, which outlines the efforts the committee made to get a witness to comply with the subpoena and failure by the witness to do so. The report is then referred to the House for a vote. If the vote succeeds, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi certifies the report to the United States Attorney for the District of Columbia. Under law, the certification then requires the United States Attorney to bring the matter before the grand jury for its actions, but the Justice Department will also make its determinations for prosecuting. So, now, I still have to figure out what the prime time role is, but I, I still think that that's pretty fascinating. I think it'll be, it's going to be must-see TV for me. Well, so, a quick question for you would be, if anybody doesn't know, contempt means basically they're going to arrest Bannon, but does it mean that, he has to testify, or can he still just plead the fifth and take his jail time in theory? In theory, he could just plead the fifth and take his jail time. Gotcha. All right. We'll see. Um, I don't, I don't oh, think we're going to be talking and, much, but we'll see. It, uh, yeah, it, it'll, it'll be fascinating. But, you know, what it, what, it, what it brings to, and it goes back to what we were just talking about with the police, um, there is a whole class of people that just feel that holding them accountable for stuff that other people are held accountable for um, is some type of 
real bad violation of, of their rights. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I just want to see people really get burnt. I know that we can't have this whole um, situation where we're all at the Coliseum screaming as a guy's being fed to the lions. I don't want to be that type of society. But I think we've also gotten to the point to where um, we need to see a few people fed to the metaphorical lions. And I think the people who had anything to do with um, January 6th, you know, fit that mold. Yeah, I, I remember the story that first went viral when uh, the guy at the January 6th insurrection, the shaman, shaman or whatever, who was dressed up in that costume and stuff like that. It was like after he got arrested and two weeks in, they're like, he was going to sue the prison because they didn't have his specific vegan food that he specifically had wanted religiously and all that stuff. And everyone in the country was like, man, these people have no idea what the real world is. Everything doesn't customize to them. But the reason they don't know is because the world has customized to them specifically. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Holding them accountable where, like I said, this wouldn't even be a story if it was any other brown people or black people or whatever it had been it would have been already done so that, that's the frustrating part about this whole thing yeah it's i it's frustrating it's frustrating and i know that mary garland got a little bit of trouble because he it was a little cautious in how aggressively you go after folks and a lot of people are saying that you know realistically um when it comes to prosecuting black folks for uh, protesting uh, certain things, um, there is no consideration or concern about their impact and the ability to radicalize and what have you. But in, in this situation, they're, they're looking for reasons. Uh, some people feel that they're looking for reasons to treat these criminals differently, these terrorists differently. Yeah, that's what they are. They're domestic terrorism and, and part of the biggest domestic terrorist group that we are facing threats from, according to every single intelligence agency um, out there. And and that's why it's, that's why everybody's screaming accountability right now. If, if nothing happens here, John, I don't know where we go from here. And I, I don't mean that as, as exaggeration. I just don't know what happens if there are no more rules anymore. No, I, and I don't disagree. I think you have a situation where um one you've got to hold people accountable we keep hearing about concerns that people have when it goes to 22 and 24 and people accepting election results and i think a lot of that starts with holding the people who um, were very involved in trying to undermine the last election accountable i think i think that's where you do it and it's weird because you know some media i listen to get you in a gloom and doom space and everything else. And I think part of it is because for so long, uh, for the last four plus years, um, there is a, a significant amount of behavior on the right that um, whether it's just in the court of public opinion or even legal courts, um, it seems like there's a double standard and a severe double standard. And that's a, that standard is based upon a political ideology and a race. Right. And, and it's, if, if we don't correct this, it's going to be bad. It's going to get worse. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why I, well, I've said this to you before. It's this idea of, we have to meet 
the moment with the stakes that are on the line. We have to show up as as determined as they were that day to overthrow the, the, the this democracy that we, that we so cherish here. So it seems like we all kind of want that. I don't know if it's fully happening yet, but I, I, I trust the people that are there for now to, that it'll get there. I, just, I wonder how long it'll take, really. Right. It's 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 upsetting and it and you know, hopefully they'll fix it. You know, um we had the end of the week with some concerning news that uh Bill Clinton had been hospitalized for uh sepsis. And I will tell you, um, for me it hits really, 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 really close to home. Uh, my father has a kidney uh stint um that has to be changed every four months or every every three months, I'm sorry, quarterly. And um, he's now 88. But starting about 2018, he's had a number of infections, urinary tract infections that turned into sepsis. And so I've seen it. I saw how sick he got when he left the house, how things were touch and go. And, you know, I remember the worst part was when he was in the ICU for about a week and a half. And, you know, he was just having some challenges. And I thought I was going to lose him a few times. So. I say it all to say that um, what Clinton is dealing with is very serious. It sounds like he's on the right side of this. Because um, what happens is, you, you've ever heard the phrase septic shock. Yeah. Well, that comes from having a thing called sepsis. And um, it's scary. Like I say, my dad has had it um, a couple of times. Uh, I want to dare say four or five times. and. Um, What's just really um, interesting, though, is I've understood what it is. Uh, it took me a while. But what's really fascinating is we'll, with Bill Clinton getting it, there's a way that they talk about on talk about on TV that I understand it even more. And I'm kind of frustrated, not in a like bitter way, but I'm kind of frustrated because I understood what's been going on with my dad and where it comes from. But the clarity I now have, because Bill Clinton got it, and maybe it's because doctor, rather than it's just something, you know, the doctor in the hospital, maybe because it's Sanjay Gupta, it, it all makes sense to me. But but it's amazing how clear something that I already knew has become clearer as a result of Bill Clinton uh, getting sepsis. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I can relate to it a little bit. My my father actually went septic one time, and it was it was scary, a scary night for sure. And I saw the nurses' faces that day, and I knew how serious they were taking it. And it's one of those things, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's one of those things that once you lose control over it, there's, o- there's o- only so much you could do before uh, it goes really, really bad. So it seems like here um, that that they caught, I don't know if they I, you could catch it early, but they, they fought it early, if you will. And I guess his white blood cells are, are, are coming down, which is o- always a good sign. So... Um, yeah, best wishes to obviously that, but it really puts things in perspective, right? Like we, we don't have that many former living presidents, right? And, and it's kind of crazy to think that Barack is this young and, and how kind of fortunate that was, right? Clinton's old. We, we see the shape that obviously Jimmy Carter's in. Even Biden, the current president is pretty old. Even Trump is, is older, right? And so, um, it's, it kind of really puts things in perspective that we don't have that kind of lineage that uh, I, I remember when Reagan died, I was young, but I, I, I do remember when Reagan died a little bit 
and how kind of monumentous that was. I, I don't remember. I guess we we recently lost uh, George Bush's father. I, I guess I kind of remember that, but he he was up there, so it was. Um, I don't know. Not that it was expected, but um, it's just one of those things that we we're, we're dealing with as as Americans, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of the thing that's really good about being part of a democracy is that, you know, unlike in some of these dictatorships in other places, you have um, you have a lot of presidents who, once they're out of that partisan space, um, become a little bit more appealing or tolerable by the other party. Um, I'm still no fan of George Bush, but, you know, I don't know if it was, I, I see certain character traits in him. That I that I that have probably always been there, but they're easier to see now that I don't have to. Um, now that I'm not now that I don't view him through a partisan lens, um, and I do think that we you know we're definitely fortunate to still have him. We have we have Obama, we have the other George Bush, you know George Jr. or George W. We have we have Carter, but um, you know it goes back to what we said earlier too about money um bill clinton was in a position to where he could get the best medical treatment i'm sure you know as i said my dad has had it a few times and he survived obviously um but i'm sure the fact that he probably the minute he looked ill you probably have secret service and doctors on call and you know uh the fact that the doctors at the hospital he's currently at are able to communicate with the doctors, you know, there's some levels, but, you know, I just, I just, I just hope he turns around, but it also tells folks, I think whenever anybody that's high profile has an illness, whatever, the best thing to come of it, first of all, we want them to become okay is it does raise awareness. Like I say, my dad has been dealing with sepsis, has had, had, had sepsis episodes a number of times over the last few years, and I've understood it, but I, really understood it now because of the attention it's gotten in the media. Yeah. Awareness is always good, especially when um, the medical community also, right. Could, could have a moment to kind of explain it better through the lens of a more uh, well-known face like that. Like you said, right. When, when, when CNN's talking about it and maybe it gives some sort of uh, knowledge and, and, and security to people who are watching. So uh, I did have a thought about Trump when this happened and thinking of John McCain and John McCain famously not asking uh, to, for Trump to be invited. It's interesting how much um, partisan even stuff like that. Like we saw George Bush at, at, at Biden's inaugural. He was kind of mingling and everything seemed kind of normal. But um, it's always interesting when stuff like this happens. It really puts puts how how unique in a way that Trump is in, in a weird way, if you will. Yeah. Now, there's one thing that happened recently that um, I will tell you, uh, and I didn't, I'm not sure if I've explained to you why it's a huge source of shame for me, um, but uh, the whole John Gruden mess. Now, the reason why the whole John Gruden mess is a source of shame is because, uh, like myself, John Gruden is a product of the University of Dayton. Oh, I did it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, just so you know, um, we probably have two, or we, up until last week, I don't know if we have, if we're proud of both of them, we're probably proud of one of them, but we actually have um, two Super Bowl winning coaches who uh, the, who went to the University of Dayton. One would be John Gruden, 
the other would be the longtime uh, Pittsburgh Steelers coach, uh, Chuck Knoll, are both University of Dayton graduates. Just so you know, when you go to a school that's the same like going to Columbia, uh, trust me, whenever there's high-profile success people, successful people, everybody, whether they were, whether those persons preceded them or came after them or were there when they were there, everybody knows their records and history. But um, <clears throat> the Gruden thing was fascinating. Um, and what I thought was really fascinating about the John Gruden piece was <laughs> this came apart because of the investigation into the Washington football franchise. And I do think it's, well, I'm definitely not going to defend Gruden. Gruden needs to walk the plank. But I think it's funny that the one person to lose their job as a result of an investigation into the Washington football team is the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. I still don't quite get that. I, I mean, he needs to walk. He needs to go. Who wasn't but, even the coach at, when these emails were sent, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because he's caught in the crosshairs, right? We saw Adam Schefter, although obviously a much different kind of situation, nothing um, necessarily too troubling there. But th let's say there's 650,000 emails, and there is going to be collateral damage here, no doubt about it. Um, ultimately, we'll see if it leads to anything with Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington football team. Um, but um, there is going to be a lot of things coming here. This isn't the first bomb to drop. And I'm, I actually wouldn't be surprised if this was first to drop because there's something much worse, maybe something in there. Because although this is awful, and like you said, Gruden should walk the plank justifiably, um, this, what he said in those emails, probably is not the worst thing that were, were in those emails, if you will. We saw that he got some of the Washington cheerleaders and stuff like that, which is, to me, like, I understand what Gruden said was hurtful, and I, and I again, justifiably walked the plank. But when you get into that territory where it's like legal stuff of exchanging pictures of, of half-naked women and stuff like that, it really gets into the legal territory and not just the moral. Who, who, were, who were photographed without their consent. Right, who were right. These weren't exchanging pictures of Playboy models in, the, in in their Playboy pose. These were photographed without their consent. But I think, to your point, I think one of the things that is got a lot of us in disbelief was if Gruden was doing that, and he was, and putting those, and if there was no reason, not once have we seen it, maybe there are, the pushback where somebody got an email from him and said, slow your roll, dog, you know, don't go there. <laughs> I can't, to your point, I can't believe that he's the only one in this entire investigation out of the 650,000 emails that were deemed offensive that he's the only one who probably needs to lose their job, right? Um, whoever he can, I, I, it might not be as offensive, but it comes to question. If, if people who were in communication with him regularly, even if they didn't go where he went, if they just were taking part in these conversations and never pushed back, I think those people need to be held accountable too. Maybe not to the extent that Gruden was held accountable, but someone needs to call them out and say, "You, yo, what, what was going on? What, what, what did you think when you were getting this stuff?" Right? And more importantly, what we don't know is should whoever did, did whoever sent them the the unauthorized topless photos of cheerleaders has that person been held accountable? Do we know? I, I think that was. Dan Snyder's lead. So I think this ultimately will lead into something with Dan Snyder. That's the point of the investigation for anybody who doesn't know is that 
this all started with that whole thing in Dan Snyder. So I, I assume that that's going to – heads will fall and heads will roll for sure. I do want to push back on a, something you said about maybe the other people who were CC'd on that email and stuff like that. Um, I I get it, and I, I just do, I do think it's a slippery slope. I've been in rooms where people have said things, and I've either gotten up and walked out because I was uncomfortable, or I said, hey, you can talk like that, just don't talk like that around me. I've done that before, but – if I'm some TV again, Gruner was working for ESPN at the moment. He wasn't working for the NFL. If some producer at ESPN is on those emails and and it has nothing to do with them or something like that, I often just wonder. Remember, Gruner's popular. He was very popular at ESPN. He was very uh, powerful at ESPN. So I, I also wonder that there's a lot of people who don't speak up who are afraid of losing their jobs and stuff like that. Granted, the people that he was speaking to were high up and, and stuff like that. So I don't think it was the case. But I, I just always worry about uh, that sort of situation, the kind of collateral damage that happens around stuff like that. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be quite the um, unfolding case. I think we need to be prepared for what comes. and. I think that folks need to be held accountable. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, we've talked a lot about in this particular pod about accountability. And um, I just think that we need more of it. And it's going to be really, this may sound really weird. It's kind of like with some of the COVID restrictions. The more we do to hold folks accountable, the less folks will need to hold accountable in the future, if that makes any kind of sense. Because people will get the message, they'll see that people, you know, are held accountable for certain behavior, certain rhetoric, certain conduct. And hopefully that would discourage other folks from doing the same thing. Well, not only discourage folks from doing it, but doing it in a genuine way, not not necessarily... they just don't want to do it so they're not going to get caught. I think they they hopefully learn the lesson of, of the mistakes that were made here. Remember, Gruden, this isn't by any means excusing his behavior, but Gruden's part of that kind of old, old-timey, old-school, 70s, 80s kind of roughneck football where you just shut up and rub dirt on it and move on. And 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 th- that old guard has changed, right? If you look at the words that this the, the the Chargers coach had this week, or 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 Mike Tomlin or Jeff Fisher, these guys who were just like, this is nonsense, this is crazy, it's wrong, and we have to be allies to the communities that were hurt. And and that's kind of where I land is is Gruden isn't the problem as much as the system. And and we if we could be allies to all those communities. Uh, regardless of the mistakes that we might have made in the past, is is how I would like to move forward. Gruden's gonna be fine. He has millions of dollars in a house, and maybe his legacy is ruined. But um, the the real solution is, is trying to get everybody uh, on the same playing field. I'm gonna push back a little bit. Gruden, John Gruden's 58. I'm 53. Um, okay. <coughs> you're right, because even in my youth and high school experience it was kind of that old school timey thing yeah but you have my contemporaries my my generation was a transitional trans uh generation between the old timey and the very woke enlightened folks um and i expect more i expected a lot more out of john gruden because the younger folks uh, and, I, and this is why I can't stand like a Dabble Sweeney type, right? You know, at Clemson, 
but the younger folks, my, you know, people within five to 10 years of my age, so that'd be as high as 63, as low as 50, as low as 43. Um, those of us in that transition space, I think we can't get away with it's old timey because our generation is the one that had the responsibility to transition, meaning that your generation or the younger generations, they're raised in a manner and they were brought up in a manner that was a lot more tolerant. And then the generation above me was less tolerant. We're the transitional generation. And so I look at the folks who use that opportunity to grow. I have guys I went to high school with who were the prototypical asshole jock, right? And one of the things I really enjoy on Facebook is now they're uh, parents and their teachers and they're so, I don't know what they are like in other parts of their life, but they, they definitely are have a softer edge. There's, you can definitely see the growth. You can see that, that the guy that, you know, went around, you know, calling uh, certain guys the F word is now, you know, at a school teaching and is very supportive of the LGBT student population and doing things. That's where Gruden should have been. So I can't give him that pass that he was old school because our generation, Generation X, was the generation that, that yes, we had those old school influences, but we also had enough information to change the paradigm, right? So, and Gruden being as successful as he was in coaching and being, I would think, on relationships, and this is why some people um, like the Tony Dungy's and Mike Trico's took an L this week, because they defended him, right? Now, maybe their defense was based upon, you know, a certain reputation he had uh, publicly, that, that bottom space. And I know there are some people that really felt truly let down. But if the guy's 75 years old. Put it this way. I can't stand Mike Dicka. I think Mike Dicka's a racist. But Mike Dicka's racism and Mike Dicka's jerkishness is 10 times more acceptable than John Gruden's BS. Because Dicka at least generationally, has that excuse. Does that, does that make sense? Ditka, Ditka has, the, has the excuse of these were the times, that's what, that's what he came up in. Gruden was not brought up that way, especially considering he and I went to the same college. And I'm not Catholic, I'm not which is University of Dayton is and everything else, and there was obviously um, issues and problems we had. But there were some values that we taught, that we were taught that I think even if some of the kids that I went to school with weren't on the right side of stuff, I think as they grew up and they matured, they had the tools to know better. And so I also think that, you know, because, and maybe I'm being hard on him because he is a graduate of my college, I expected better of him because of the, the education he got at the school I went to, as well as, you think about it, how long have you been out of school? How long, how long have you been out of, out of, out of, out of Over out 10 of, years, yeah. Over 10 years. Think about your growth. Think think about your growth and your development, especially if you track back to high school. There's no reason why an NFL coach should be so stunted and so dwarfed in their views on issues. That's my point. Yeah, and just to be clear for anybody listening, I didn't mean to say that he gets a pass for that at all because he's old for sure. I, I didn't. I, I hope I didn't make him seem that you were giving. All right, cool, cool, cool. I just wanted to be clear. Just because he's a certain generation doesn't excuse his behavior at all. Um, but here's what I was really trying to say was 
when John Gruden was coaching, his, remember he was away for 10 years and then came back to coaching, right? But when he was coaching early on, right? There wasn't women referees. There wasn't openly gay players in the NFL. There wasn't um, protesting. And there wasn't um, all the stuff that he was commenting on, right? Everything he was talking about was basically the changes the league has made, right? And it's not lost on me that he did say these things when he wasn't a coach. And then now he's that he is, he was a coach recently. He was the coach of the first openly gay player, and that wasn't an issue in that locker room. So there, there is some sort of nuance here that you're saying the growth over 10 years. He might have had that growth. Again, um, I, he should have walked the plank. He should have never even had the Raiders job. He's not that good of a coach anyways, right? So it's like you can't excuse the behavior either way. But my point was simply I'm not surprised that Gruden feels like this only because – it's all he knows. All he knows is the NFL was run by white men. The players were mostly white men. Uh, there was the referees were white men. There was no gay player, or at least openly gay players. I'm sure there was uh, uh, gay players that, that didn't say anything. But um, that's all he knows. So I'm not surprised that he was railing on everything that was different. That's that's the only thing I was saying. I'm I just not shocked. I would be more shocked if 35-year-old um, Sean McVay of the Rams was saying these things for sure. Right. No, and I, I think the point I was making, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that with my generation is our generation was the change generation, my generation X. So I judge harshly the folks who didn't change. And I, and I really celebrate and embrace the folks who did that growth, that, that, development that change i think that's the key and i also think that as an nfl coach that you have so many black players you have so many different people from all aspects of life that um you owe it to yourself to to, to change but believe it or not we're coming up on an hour so okay. we probably have to wind this game down all right cool. so for now this is john signing off this is fine signing off thanks for joining us guys